0: Thank you for tuning into this webinar, Building Better Workplaces, 2021's Emerging Trends. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speakers are Kerry Cox and Daniel White. Carrie is a Senior Consultant for AGH Employer Solutions' HR Services Group. She has experience in a variety of HR functions. She's a SHRM-certified professional and a professional in human resources by the Human Resource Certification Institute. Daniel is a Senior Consultant for Employer Solutions' Organizational Development Group. He works in a wide range of industries and has worked internationally serving organizations in Bolivia, Guatemala, and Ghana. He's published in Fast Company and several academic journals. So, with renewed optimism in the air, organizations are focusing on how to build back even better. That focus is resulting in four key workplace trends. Organizations embracing these trends are separating themselves from their peers and becoming best in class employers. In this webinar, Carrie and Daniel will advise on how to get up to speed on these emerging trends involving team development, employee engagement, HR support, and business strategy and innovation. So, with that, we'll get started with today's presentation. 2020 changed our workplaces, the way we work, and the people. Carrie, what are some of the lessons we've learned from 2020 that affected our workplaces and are currently driving workplace trends?
1: Yeah. Hello, everybody. Thanks for the introduction, Mike. Appreciate everyone joining us today. Um, What we've identified as we've talked with a lot of our clients and just other business leaders in the community is there are really Five trends in the workplace um, that we've identified and so you get a bonus one today. We had four originally that we were going to talk about and um, the first one is strong leadership teams really outperformed others. So the organizations throughout the pandemic response that had those really strong leadership teams but also strong teams in general Um, They tended to be more adaptable or more resilient, and they were able to perform better under pressure and be able to respond more quickly to changing situations. The second trend was that HR was really critical in navigating all of those workplace changes and needs and um, the education needed to go along with it so that we could keep our workplaces open and make sure employees felt safe to come to work. Third trend was that many employees had to shift how they worked, but not only that, how they think about work. And so people had some different needs throughout the pandemic and beyond that. And we may be seeing some trends related to employees potentially exiting if they felt like some of those needs haven't been met. Fourth trend was that you still really have to think strategically and innovatively about your business. And in a um, pandemic or kind of emergency kind of situation like we've been in, it may even be or have been more critical to think more innovatively about your business needs and your competition and what opportunities are out there. And then finally, um, that fifth additional trend that we realized is some business owners and business leaders are considering earlier exits than they would have prior to the pandemic. So um, there were some indications that people just decided they wanted to do things differently, or maybe they just didn't have the energy left to contribute to the business. So we may be seeing some exits from people earlier than we may have originally seen.
0: So, with that in mind, we'll jump into the first trend. Um, what, let's talk about why building your teams is even more important post pandemic. Carrie mentioned strong leadership teams and high performing organizations. So, Daniel, what did the pandemic teach us about teams and collaboration?
2: Yeah, um, welcome, guys. Thanks for being here for the webinar. Um, like Carrie said, the pandemic really helped to show either that you've got a strong leadership team or maybe that you are lacking in your leadership team a little bit. Um, Because number one, uh, with working from home, it was a little bit more fractured environment with a team that's then having to deal with uh, new circumstances that no one's ever seen before. And so strong leadership teams were really able to stay connected, stay communicating, to communicate effectively with the rest of the organization and to respond in an effective manner um, to the new situations that they were dealing with a newer leadership teams or those that weren't as strong just weren't able to do those things and there was a gap that was often shown from that as well as people were just they needed to step up they were asked to do more and different things in the pandemic and so people who might have thought that they had a pretty strong bench or A number of different people that could jump in and help out in different ways and maybe saw some gaps that they didn't realize were there when the heat was really turned up over the pandemic. And so people, I think, through the pandemic have really seen, do I have a good team? Do I have strong people that I can rely on or uh, are there some gaps? And, And now they're starting to think, what do we do based on those gaps that we saw?
0: That's interesting. So, Carrie, I guess related to that first question, what's HR's role in helping facilitate collaboration and team building in the workplace?
1: Yeah, I think HR can help to identify gaps when there are gaps. Um, So that could either be through some skills assessments or maybe they're just hearing things from employees as a, a conduit for getting information about work teams and departments and managers and things like that. But the other piece I think is culture. So HR isn't solely responsible for culture in an organization. The leadership team as a whole needs to be really cognizant about that and intentional about the culture they wanna have and set. But certainly HR can help prompt some of those discussions and and consider with leadership or management, how much of a collaborative organization do we wanna be and how do we foster that kind of culture and environment with our employees.
0: Sure. I think one trend that I've seen in the news quite a bit is seeing how organizations are figuring out how to get people back into the office or even if they want them back in the office. And so assuming the trend continues with kind of this hybrid working model approach, Daniel, how can organizations improve their team building and collaboration when not everyone's going to be in the same location? Yeah.
2: So I think that's a good question because we're going to see a lot more of that continued hybrid work. Um, and I think team building really is a little bit about what Carrie said is being proactive about thinking how you're creating a culture and how you're growing your team. Um, in the past, if you're in the office rubbing shoulders with somebody, um, you can naturally develop and become uh, better teammates just from getting to know each other. Uh, but as you go more remote, have people who aren't involved as much in daily interactions that are just shooting the breeze, um, it's a lot harder. So you got to be more proactive. And the basis of a strong team building is trust. So if if you haven't read Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, that's a really great book. And the base of his pyramid, there's trust. And if you the way you build trust is by getting to know other people. And if you're not around somebody or you've added somebody new to your team who's remote, it's really hard to get to know them in any meaningful way, because if you're remote, most of your communication is task-oriented, and you're focused on getting this project done or this, and you don't really even get to know the person like you would um, just when you stop by their office to say hi or hear about their weekend. So you really have to be even more proactive in team building if you're working from a, a remote
0: standpoint. Carrie, you have any input there as well?
2: Yeah, I was just
1: going to add that HR can be proactive about making sure managers are adjusting that style, um, making sure that they have the tools to equip themselves, to adapt to a remote workforce, and, and that they're still doing some of those team building and get to know you trust building activities. And the other piece that HR can do is do that cross departmentally. So managers are responsible for building their individual teams, but how do we still create culture across the organization by making sure there are opportunities to interact across different departments
0: and functionalities? Yeah, I think that's an important one. I've seen that one firsthand. Um, So going back to the strong leadership team theme, I guess I'll start with Daniel and then Carrie, if you want to chime in, you can as well. How are your guys as clients? Um, how are your clients and what are you telling them about developing that next level of leadership? Are they are they focusing on that or is that something that might be a blind spot for them right now?
2: Um, I think more and more it, people don't, they are seeing it, right, because of the pandemic when maybe they were blind to it a little bit before. Um, and the ways that we're seeing people do it and the best way to develop that leadership is in thinking about it holistically and a, kind of a long-term investment because too too often people think that it's just leadership development is like a information transfer, or I'm just going to have you read this book, go to this one-day training, and then you're good to go. But really, leadership development is all about behavior change over the long term and taking ideas and information and then incorporating it into your life and what you do. So um, it takes time, and each person is different. Each person has different strengths and weaknesses, so you got to understand what are those, maybe even using some assessments, and then uh, work with them to set their own goals and over long-term grow. Um, So it's really an individualized, long-term sort of play that isn't often what people like to hear because it's uh, maybe more costly in time and effort and money, but uh, that's really what it takes.
1: Yeah, and we have to keep in mind that learning and development for people is such a significant driver of employee engagement and therefore retention so we'll talk more about retention later in the hour but Um, In that first poll, 41% of you said that was kind of that top trend that was top of mind in your organization. So if you are proactive and you have these longer term leadership development or just general employee development programs that can really contribute to employees feeling like you not only value them, but are investing them. And that creates some loyalty on their behalf as well as you build their skill sets, which further helps contribute and build the business.
0: Carrie, what's HR seeing as being the biggest gaps in that next level of leadership um, for that that leadership team?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it relates back to what people have traditionally called those soft skills. And um, our CEO refers to them as success skills. Um, So they're critical for advancing onto the next level. When you're that individual contributor, you develop all those technical aspects. I can do my job really well. But as you advance through your career, it's more um, more about how do you work with others? How do you communicate with others? How do you persuade or lead or get people on board with um, what needs to happen and what needs to get done? And so all of those communication, influence, persuasion skills, those are all really critical for success at the next level, I would say.
0: Daniel, I know you've written extensively on soft skills. How are you helping organizations kind of close that gap or how can organizations identify that maybe the lack of soft skills in that next level is lacking and and is an issue that they need to remedy?
2: Um, Well, you know, I think a lot of times managers see that in their their next level down. They do see some of those gaps. Um, I think sometimes the people themselves don't often see it because, again, Education um, and for a lot of people is about that information learning. And so they've gone through college, they've gotten this degree, they've got this certification. Hey, I'm here, I'm ready to go. But they don't often see that the gap for them is not that skill set, like Carrie said, of the technical skills, but the gap is in the soft skills, which are behaviors which take time to change and experience and all that. So often, they are the ones who maybe think they're ready to go or be promoted sooner than other people see them because they're blind to some of those things. So, you know, using an assessment like a 360 or um, some kind of personality assessment, something can help just reflect a mirror to people to for them to be able to see. Yeah, I guess you're right. I I do need to change and improve in those areas that they may not have realized before. As well as just having clear expectations, right? Of In order to move ahead, this role, it's not just about that you can weld really well, but to manage people, you've got to be able to know the technical and to also be able to relate well with people and motivate them and all of those things.
0: Gotcha. This is a perfect segue, I think, into our next trend, since we're just talking about how to develop talent. Carrie, how's the HR function evolving and growing since the start of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I I think during the pandemic, HR kind of had to pause and just think about compliance and safety and the very basics of those um, aspects, making sure we could keep the employees working and the doors open as we learned what was COVID and what are the mitigation strategies. and, And that kept evolving over time um so that kind of technical compliance piece was really essential over the last year and some organizations i think may have lost sight of some of the strategic needs because they had to be so focused on those technical day-to-day aspects and so i think going forward it's going to be critical for hr to help pivot back to that more strategic perspective and thinking further into the future what are the workforce needs What do we need to do to help develop our workforce? How do we find enough people to get into the door? Because it is a real challenge right now in terms of recruitment, but then also how do we retain people and keep them once we get here? Because obviously it costs a lot when you lose people and not just in finding the new ones, but all of the lost productivity and those different aspects that have a a line on the, or an effect on the bottom line.
0: Daniel, when you're out talking to prospects or working with clients, are there any symptoms you see when you can tell that the HR function or leadership's kind of lacking or, or doesn't have an equal seat at that table?
2: Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, when I, I work with companies doing planning or whatever, if it's, it's always helpful or, or I guess a good clue in if the HR professional is there at the table of talking and helping to develop the strategy for the future, or not. Um, if they're not, then maybe the, the organization isn't valuing HR as it should, or maybe they don't have somebody that they feel like can think at that level. Um, but either way, uh, if you're not having a people strategy these days involved in your high-level organizational growth strategy, something's missing because people for pretty much every company are a, a major asset, The major th- driver
0: for a lot of growth. What about you, Carrie? Do you work with clients where maybe that HR function is not as strong as it could be? and, And kind of what symptoms are you seeing? Or is it pretty much aligned with what Daniel had to say?
1: Yeah, I think certainly different businesses have different needs in terms of how they fulfill the HR function and that people management function. And so, Um, Sometimes we even know that there's a gap. And so we're called in to help manage that gap and help them vision or help them assess practices and look at um, best practices and trends and make recommendations going forward. So, um, I think it's, it's across the board based on the business needs often so, but there's always got to be somebody that's responsible for that people management function. So even if it's not a dedicated HR person, someone in the organization has to be there doing that. And if you don't have the person um, dedicated to that full time or at least half time, um, you might have some gaps that you, know, you might need some supplemental assistance with.
0: So what can HR do to be a strong partner then to kind of provide that value at the leadership table?
1: Yeah, I think along with what Daniel was saying related to some of the strategic planning that he does with organizations, making sure HR is doing strategic planning. So understanding What are going to be the business or organizational changes over the next three, five, or even 10 years out, and how will that change our workforce, and therefore, how does that change our practices and what we need to be doing so that we can develop people and we can recruit people and we can retain people in the ways that we need to, and so not only is that strategic visioning important, but having a real clear sense of where are you today is an aspect of that too, so conducting an HR audit or a review of those HR functions might be a really critical component of that. So there's a clear understanding of what do we do today and how is it serving us? Because if it's not working, then we may need to adjust our practices. We may need to change our policies. And, and I'll tell you, the more clients I talk to, things aren't working today. And it's, you know, it's no fault of their own. It's just things have changed so much. And so if you're just posting a job and you hope you're going to find a great candidate and the post and pray strategy is what I've heard that referred to as, it probably doesn't work like it used to even five years ago, maybe. Um, And even, you know, it's even more critical today with the turnover we're seeing and with some of the uh, challenges in recruiting people
0: into organizations. How does HR analytics kind of tie into that, providing value or being a strong partner?
1: Yeah, I think that's a piece where, as I talk to more and more HR professionals, they're getting more into that. So they're getting um, to the point where they're much more comfortable with the data in terms of um, people data, but also business data. And how does it link and how does it tie together? So um, I think initially, when we started talking about HR analytics or data analytics, people um, didn't even know what that me- meant or what they were supposed to do with it. And as we've, you know, gotten into that topic with some individuals, it's just critical to identify what's the business challenge or what's the problem you're trying to solve. And then you go look at the data and then you figure out, you know, how does that data influence my decisions that I might make or that I might recommend in terms of strategies that we could try? And I think sometimes people have it backwards. They look at all the data and say, well, what do we do with this? Whereas if you first identify what's the challenge that we have and and with a lot of people right now, it's we can't find enough people. And so then you try to find the data to support what are those recruitment practices and what are some of the trends that you see in terms of your applicants, or um, if you're having a real high turnover rate, what are some of the trends we see in the data with our
2: turnover? Gotcha. And, And I would add, you know, business leaders are very data focused. I mean, that's the language that a lot of them speak in. And so, with hr you know if you're looking at trying to get a better seat at the table um you need to speak in the language of the ceo the cfo that they need to have that hard data that helps to show what a problem it is and what dollars it's costing them and all of these things to properly resource your area and get what you need or pay people what they need or whatever the the problem is um I think the move towards HR analytics and more data is really important and it's going to help just, I think, elevate the HR function within companies overall,
0: if they do it right. <laughs> that seems to be the key. So I have a question for both of you, and we'll start with Carrie first. What are you seeing organizations do who don't have a dedicated HR person?
1: Yeah, I I think um, a number of organizations we work with, they may have somebody that's doing some function of HR or multiple bodies doing some functions of HR, and and it's critical to make sure that you've got someone central managing that, but if you can't have someone dedicated to it full-time, then rely on those outside resources that you have, consultants that you work with, or those trusted advisors that really know and are expert in that area, because if you're not, you're just missing some opportunities. It doesn't mean that you're not doing things in a correct way. It just means your attention isn't focused there. So you're not always thinking about trends and different ways of doing things and maybe what other organizations might've done. And so leaning on some of those outside experts can really be beneficial, I would say.
2: I'd say, you know, overall, just in hr is one area but i think getting outside input and independent input to your business overall is just important whether it's an advisory board a board um somebody that's sh- other advisors that you trust and can talk to and bounce ideas off of and can give you real um kind of results or real um kind of input on on things that's important. And in the HR function, you don't often know what you don't know because you're too close to it or you're missing it. So I think having some kind of way to, to bounce ideas or have somebody give you objective input is really important overall.
0: Carrie, if you could sum up this trend in just a brief statement, like a key takeaway someone should take away from this trend, how would you sum it up?
1: i would say hr just needs to really be focused on what are the evolving business needs and how does hr then support the employee and the management needs related to that
0: i think with that we'll go ahead and start looking into that third trend um hr related still in 2019 the job market was pretty hot and then we saw the obvious cool down with the COVID lock downs being implemented with the economy pretty much fully open or at least maybe not as open as it was a couple weeks ago but uh, it seems like we're seeing a lot of turnover. I've heard the term turnover tsunami related to employees voluntarily quitting. Carrie, do you think that's a bit exaggerated or is it occurring and, and we've got data to back that phrase up?
1: Yeah, so I haven't seen it yet locally in terms of lots of people just exiting from their jobs that they've had over the last year or years. Um, But certainly I think a big challenge is getting people in the door and then being able to retain them. So I think it all kind of relates together. But if you think about where we were prior to COVID, we were struggling to find people anyway. And so there were obviously um, challenges with recruitment and getting people to join companies because of the low employment that we were seeing. And then COVID just made it completely worse. And so you've got people that maybe were going to leave their jobs and then they held tight. And now is a perfect time for them to feel more comfortable with getting back into a different um, opportunity maybe. So they're more open to looking for employment but then also some people had needs changed. So maybe childcare concerns um, that they had caused some issues or maybe there are some health considerations and maybe it's not safe for them to go back and their employers are requiring in office work. And so you may have some people that are ready to leave now because of some of the effects of COVID. And then you've got another category where they just paused and went, you know, I'm not sure I even want to work anymore or I'm far enough along in my career that I want to do something different and more meaningful more meaningful before I retire, or you just have all of these things that come into play. And so I, I think we will start to see that. And I know nationally, there are some data trends that have um, been put out. So SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management, had indicated that probably at least half of employees are actively seeking other employment And so if you think about that, I mean, if half of your workforce left in the next six months or 12 months, you would be really in a dire kind of situation just to keep your business running. And then another data point nationally was from the Bureau of Labor Labor Statistics. Um, They track a quit rate. So. Um, they've done this since 2000, so we're talking 21 years of data, and in April, they hit the highest percent quit rate they've ever seen. So that means people voluntarily wanting to leave to seek other employment elsewhere. So definitely that is a concern for employers, if you think about it, at least half are open to looking at employment, and we're seeing high quit rates, higher than we've ever seen in the past.
0: Gotcha. Daniel, are there operational or planning ways to kind of manage the effects of that turnover if it comes to fruition?
2: Um, there are, you know. Let me respond to something that Carrie had said. I mean, if you think about 50% of your people that are actively looking, and I think uh, even if half, only half of those end up leaving, um, there—that's a staggering number of your employees that are leaving, and. I don't know the exact numbers, Carrie, you know them, I think, but the cost of one person leaving to replace them and lost productivity and recruiting costs, everything, I mean, it's like over 100% of that person's annual, annual salary, plus you're paying them. So if you're losing 25% of your workforce, you're basically, I mean, it's a ton of money and time and trying to find people to fill it in this sort of environment. I mean, it's just a staggering amount of money and time and effort that could be you know resolved if you can actually keep people so um i think often people think about well what if we have to raise um price or you know our salaries or what if we have to do this you got to think too about the opposite of what if people leave how much is that going to cost us too so i guess i wanted to throw that out there carrie what's the statistic
1: Yeah, I was going to say, depending upon the position, it can be 50% to 150% of annual salary. So for more professional or higher level positions at that higher number. Um, But yeah, I, I think that's a great point to underscore that it costs so much more to have people walk out the door rather than to invest more in your people that are already there. And so while we've heard a lot about compensation, and is that what we need to do? And is it just all about raising wages? And I would say, yeah, that's definitely part of it. It's not the whole answer. But some people say, well, we can't afford that. And I would challenge that with, can you afford not to? And I think, you know, Daniel's point, we could just do some quick calculations and you're going to see a significant amount of lost revenue if you have all of those employees walking out the door.
0: It's interesting. So I guess that begs the question, why are employees more likely to leave and what can we be doing now to figure out who those might, who those people might be?
1: Yeah, so employees will tell you it's pay. And oftentimes it has something to do with pay. But if that's really the primary driver, in most cases, it, it usually is not. Um, we're kind of in a different, in different environment, different times. So I think pay is becoming more of a driver. And that is something really critically to consider. But um, I just... The other day, got a new article from um, Bruce Tolgan, who's an author, speaker. Some of you might be familiar with some of his work. And they had done research on why people are leaving now. And for those that are leaving early, so they haven't been there very long or short tenure with you, Um, Top four drivers are buyer's remorse. So they didn't really understand what the role was, or maybe you oversold it and didn't tell them the negative parts of the job. So they weren't expected for for those kinds of things. Um, So being really critical about how you describe the job is important when you're recruiting those people. The second um, cause of early departures would be inadequate onboarding or getting people up to speed. A lot of times when you're really busy and we're short staffed, we don't do a very good job at training. We just say, hey, here's your job. Go do it. Um, so that's going to frustrate people, and cause them to exit sooner rather than later. Um, managers are a key part of that. So if they have an unsupported manager or their manager's two hands off, then that causes people to leave. And then limited flexibility was the fourth driver. So that's for people that are less tenured with you. For those that are uh, more senior in the organization, have longer tenure, the drivers are a little bit different and somewhat the same. So overcommitment is the top driver. They feel like they're doing too much. There's too much heaped on them and they just can't get a break and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So they just want to exit and give up on that. A poor manager or unsupportive manager is in that uh, category again. And then also limited flexibility is a top driver for people that have been there longer with the organization. So a um, couple of key things that those have in common are management. So having really strong managers is, is something that you can do in your organization, but also flexibility. And, and flexibility doesn't always mean I work at home when I want or I work what schedule I want. Sometimes it's flexibility in choosing how they do a task or the order of how they do their work. So for some of you that work in, environments like manufacturing where you've got to have your people there, you know, and, and doing things a certain way, it's, it's a little more challenging to think about flexibility. But I would say think out of the box with that and, and talk to employees and, you know, what do they want in terms of that flexibility? Because people really are motivated by that these days. And, and we've seen that we can work more flexibly. I think prior to COVID, people, managers were able to say, nope, sorry, we can't do that. It just doesn't work. And then COVID showed us we had to work in different ways. And so we're just having to continue to adjust to that.
0: Gotcha. So putting on my CEO or president hat, I've heard the term, I think you said it was stay interviews. Is that really a thing? And is that helpful in engaging employees and retaining them?
1: Yeah, definitely. Not a lot of organizations do this, but um, it can be a really key strategy for engaging in conversation with and then fixing things that may be wrong and retaining employees. So stay interviews should be conducted by the direct supervisor or manager, the person closest to the employee shouldn't be an HR function because HR just doesn't have as much um, close touch with those employees. But it's really a way just to have open communication with an employee to say, um, you know, what is it that keeps you coming to work and what do you like best? Because you want to continue to feed employees those kinds of tasks. But then you also ask them to be critical and and you ask things like, um, when did you last think about leaving the organization and what made you think that? And it might catch an employee off guard and you know the manager might not be comfortable asking that initially but you can find out some really interesting things and people realize oh i can talk openly with my manager and they're not going to just fire me because i express some concerns and it may take you doing these stay interviews several times before employees really open up but it's a great way to open that communication line and get information early that you can actually do something about and fix before the employee's out the door
0: gotcha daniel yeah. does the uh, does the employee parking spot or the the monthly pizza party work for employee engagement uh no no i mean there's uh,
2: People like that, you know, but it doesn't really drive engagement, and that's not why anyone would ever stay. Because I got the employee of the month parking spot this month, so I'm not going to quit yet. <laughs> uh, that that's not really a driver of engagement. Um, but I think the the real thing that the stay interviews get at is that, again, each person is different, and you can't make assumptions that you know why what's going to keep people. There, you have to ask. And too often, I think HR professionals or managers or CEOs or people get into their head uh, this is what's keeping people from working here, or this is we only would do this, or this couldn't be the problem. When you really have to ask, because you don't ask, you're, you're never going to know, and it's going to be different for each person. So, one person, sure, it's the money, maybe that's what's going to do it somebody else they might even take a pay cut if they could to get something else but they often aren't going to come to you and tell you so you got to go ask them
0: interesting that's interesting that's seems like a new way of kind of doing things in terms of employer retention i think it's a good segue into the next trend that we're seeing and all the trends we've talked about are kind of new ways of doing the same thing whether it's team building or or the hr function or even employee retention and engagement so i guess Along those lines, Daniel, why is innovation important for an organization?
2: Well, so yeah, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is kind of mm-hmm. innovation in the HR function or in the engagement of employees. Um, the, I mean, if you look at a graph, um, I've shown graphs in the past of, if you look at just like the amount of mail or correspondence from like 1900 to now, it's just like, shoots up like the sheer amount of information and things that's passed on and you can do it for all sorts of things but the world is just changing exponentially it's like straight line up in as far as the way that things are changing and so innovation just means how do we not get stuck and how do we constantly think about how could we do this better? How can we meet the needs of our customers better? How can we engage our employees better? It's um, thinking differently about things and um, not just saying, well, uh, this has always worked in the past. Like Carrie said, the, you know we've always just posted something on Indeed for the past couple years, and we've always got good candidates just because it, the, the past performance does not predict the future outcome. So you really have to constantly be kind of on edge and thinking, well, how can we continue to improve and learn and change and grow rather than just stick with what we've always done.
0: Okay, I know we've touched on a few things related to HR. What's HR doing to innovate?
1: Yeah, I think HR has to just first take a really critical look at what they're doing and then figure out what can we do differently. Um, recruitment is such a changing and evolving space right now. We can't just post and hope people come to us. One of the things I I keep hearing and repeating uh, for people is you've got to find where people are and go to them. And so, you know, just being strategically about, let's say you you have a particular position, where would those kind of people in that position look for an ad or a job or just not even be looking for one but you can pop in and and um appear before them i we're kind of joking i was working with a group um not too long ago and and i said where would this type of person be and they said well probably drinking at a bar and and you know we laughed but i said okay what about bar advertising then i mean just thinking outside of the box and innovating how you get applicants and where you go see people out i think is really critical how do we get to them and get in front of
2: them
0: interesting so daniel does every organization need to be thinking about innovation
2: well i mean i i think they do um, because things are changing so much i mean obviously with the pandemic it even spun it up even faster um But I think people get the wrong mindset when they they think innovation and they they think, okay, well, uh, we then have to become like Google or Apple. We've got to have a, a beer on tap and ping pong tables and people can come and do whatever they want. That's not innovation. It's this bad vision of what innovation is. Innovation is really just being curious. Like Carrie said, asking the question, where would this type of person be? How could we get in front of them? Well, what if we tried this, right? It's it's being willing to be curious, ask the question, try new things. And it doesn't mean your culture has to become like a Google frat boy culture. It means you have to be curious. And so that's that's the main thing, I think.
0: <laughs> fail, fail faster, fail better, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <clears throat> Carrie, I I guess, and if we've already addressed this question, forgive me, but how can we be more innovative and maybe testing those experiments a little more quickly and, and with a process in the HR function? So you mentioned the bar example. Um, how can you kind of develop a process around that iteration of whatever you think that next experiment is going to be in the HR function?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things is focusing on that low hanging fruit or maybe it's a pain point somewhere that's impacting you more so right now. Trying different different strategies, partnering with the people in your organization that are also open with that. Some of your managers that you work with are going to say, well, no, we're not going to advertise in a bar, but others might be willing to go sit at the bar and say hey I'll buy you a drink let me tell you about how great it is to work at my organization and you know the funny thing was um I had this conversation probably just a couple of days before I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago and I was having lunch in a bar and grill and there was a TV with advertising on it and they were advertising for positions at local businesses and I thought huh so you can advertise in a bar um, if you look for the right one. Right. And so it was just one of those uh, full circle moments where, you know, you talk about something and then there it is right in front of you. But I, I think just partnering with people that are more innovative, more open to creativity and solutions and um, just addressing those, um, you know, low hanging fruits or those pain points first and, and trying to make that quick incremental adjustments, see how it works.
0: Daniel, any
2: thoughts? Yeah, um, she talks about, you know, making those quick incremental adjustments. I think if you dive into innovation and there's a whole bunch of great books on those by strategizer of different processes to do that, but it's all about, like you said, failing, failing fast. Um, It's about testing ideas because none of us are going to come up with a hundred percent or a thousand percent batting average, right? Or, um, we're, we're not going to get everything out of the park. So we've got to figure out how do we learn quickly, try new ideas, but do it in a way that's, um, uh, low cost, low time cost, low money cost, low people cost. And learn from something. And then as we get more uh, direction from that, we can move forward and make bigger trials and guesses and that sort of thing. Um, But, you know, gone are the days of um, making a really big business plan for, you know, the next five years, this is every move that we're going to make. And this is how this product is going to work. And we need a million bucks to make this happen you know, you've got to back it in and say, we're going to do this for the next three months and we need 5,000 bucks to do it. And then we'll go on from there. You know, that's really the more, the better approach to innovation.
0: Gotcha. So when I look at an organization, I see critical processes like operations, HR, marketing, accounting, stuff like that. If I'm a mid-sized company and I've gotten through the pandemic relatively well, which of those project processes should I focus on innovating first? And I'll start with Daniel. And then if Carrie has other ideas, she's welcome to chime in as well.
2: Well, again, you know, I, I feel like um, repeating a theme, but I, I, it depends on who you are and what you're, there's no silver bullet or one size fits all for most things, I think. And so you have to understand where are our pain points, like Carrie said. But uh, so look there, where are the pain points, but also where are the biggest opportunities? Where are the biggest strengths that we can draw on? Too often we're drawn to say the bad performer and we spend all of our time focused on getting that bad performer up to be acceptable and meanwhile all of the star performers are being neglected so how can we take that idea and across the organization see the bright spots see the things that are happening and are great and invest time and energy and in innovating there rather than just trying to go to all the painful spots which you need to do as well but A sole focus on those is not helpful.
1: And I think that relates back to that stay interview concept really well where, um, you know, if you are always just focused on your poor performers, then your good performers think, well, gosh, I'm not getting any attention or feedback or appreciation. So I'm maybe going to think about looking somewhere else. Whereas if you do that stay interview process, you're focused on them as well and you might prioritize focusing on them so that you can identify what is it they really love doing so that you can keep feeding that to them where do they want to grow how do they want to develop um and then also fix if there are any issues that come through those conversations as well
2: Interesting. you've got a star you know sales guy that's a rainmaker potential but he's spending half of his time doing paperwork I mean, the biggest gain you can make there is getting all that paperwork off his desk and letting him go out and do what he loves and what he can exponentially gain from you by being able to devote his full time there. And that's just one example.
0: Cool. So everyone refers to Kodak as to what happens when you don't innovate, or maybe even the more relevant one nowadays is Blockbuster. But that seems to be kind of a bit of hindsight bias, or at least it does to me. Um what's the red flag you have to see now and act on now so you don't end up like Kodak, or is that even possible?
2: Um, yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think about innovation, you have people that go to, okay, well, what are the markets that are ripe for in, for disruption? And we need to, if you're in that, you need to be thinking about this. Um, my mindset more goes to what are the, um, uh, I guess what's the posture of companies and of industries that make them ripe. And the posture is this posture of, uh, we're good enough. Uh, it's this pride, right? That, um, we've Kodak is like, we've got this market covered. We're not going to let anything come in. Same with Blockbuster, right? Um, they don't, they're blind to the disruption because they think that everything's they've got everything, um, solid. Um, uh, and this actually, I, just yesterday, I saw this this meme of the uh, patent attorney, the patent general or whatever, in in 1899 was quoted saying, "Everything that has ever been invented has already been invented in 1899." Under <laughs> and then we have the last 120 years. So. 122 years Uh, so anyway you know there's this hubris or that we as humans are prone to if we're doing really well that we don't see any way how we could get disrupted or have things change and uh, humans are also really good about adapting and innovating so that's no one's ever going to be on top of the pile forever
1: Yeah, I'll add to that and just say sometimes it's not just hubris, but also complacency. So feeling like not that we are prideful or we're the best ever, but what's working is good enough. And if we're not continuing to look at reasons or ways to change and innovate and improve, then good enough eventually makes us outdated and we can't keep up and then we're losing people and losing business.
0: Very good points there. I think the last question on this topic, what's the biggest hang up that prevents organizations from executing on innovation initiatives they come up with? They see the need, but for whatever reason, they just either don't execute or don't execute execute well on it.
2: I think complacency is a good thing. They're just not driven to do that. I th- they're not curious, right, not asking questions. They're not willing even to take risks. Um, they you maybe see an opportunity, but I'm not willing to bet what i've got going on here or not willing to invest in that so and again i think the way to get beyond that is to take little risks to minimize your risks take little weight, little failures and just to realize get a sense of urgency you got to have a sense of urgency and the curiousness to explore well, how could we do things better Gotcha. Cool.
0: And then I guess for this topic, Daniel, if you wanted to sum up just kind of the trend and, and what what would be a key takeaway for someone in the audience to take away on this trend?
2: I, I guess I think the, the key takeaway is regardless of what seat you're in, if you're an accounts payable clerk or a CEO, you have to stay curious and continually ask, how could we do this better and not get complacent?
0: Gotcha. Cool. I think with that, we'll go ahead and jump into our third polling question here. Um, If you'd like to get CP or HR credit for today's session, please participate in at least three of the questions. This is our third one for the day. How strong is communication and innovation in your organization? You can choose strong engagement, strong innovation, strong engagement, weak innovation, weak engagement or strong innovation, or weak engagement and weak innovation. I curious your guys' thoughts real quick. We've got a pretty equal spread here. We've got twenty-one that say strong, strong, twenty-nine that say strong engagement, weak innovation, and then an equal split at twenty-five percent each for those last two options. Didn't know if that was surprising to you guys or if or if that's kind of what you guys see out in the field.
1: I don't think I'm surprised by that. It's kind of you know we've got that somewhat of an 80 20 rule, right, where we've we've got some top performers and then a lot of people in the middle or bell curve distribution and some that maybe need a little more help in these areas. So not really too surprised by that.
0: Cool. Okay. So it seems like a lot of what we talked about today ties into exit planning, whether it's leadership teams, strong HR function to kind of help with that workforce planning and talent development, um, and then ensuring your business model doesn't go stale. So how does that tie into what you're seeing with business owners and their long-term vision for their involvement with their organization? I'll open it up to both of you.
2: So like Carrie mentioned, you know, people, I think through the pandemic have, Reevaluated what's important to them and business owners have done the same thing and many of them have realized uh yeah i want to do something different or change things up and so we do have or life is short and i want to create a plan so that i can get out when i want to um so we've we've seen an uptick in people being interested in wanting to talk about and create a plan figure out what's next of transitioning to their employees, selling, key managers, all of that sort of stuff. Um, Carrie, anything you would done?
1: Yeah, I I think it's just critical to be talking with people. What are your plans? What are you thinking? Just relates back to the need for general organizational succession planning. And how do we make sure we have an understanding of who might be at risk of departure? And for those that are unplanned, how do we make sure we cross-train or develop others so we're able to backfill when those unexpected vacancies do occur?
2: And in, in exit planning, the single biggest driver of of uh, value for your organization. So if you're an owner, if you think about what's the best way that I can make sure I get a lot of money for my business when I want to sell, the the single biggest thing is that you have a strong leadership team. Because if you think about it, if I'm a an owner and I want to leave, if I do everything myself, if I've got all the relationships, if I do if There's no way that I can walk away without half the business going away. Then your business doesn't have much value. No one's going to pay anything for it, even your key managers or somebody. So all of the things we talked about the first half are really driving value in the organization so that you can walk away and that you as an owner can get what you want and what you need for your organization.
0: Gotcha. We're getting close to the end here. So I'll just have one last question um, for Daniel about the the succession planning topic. I'm a business owner. I'm in the elevator with you. And I look at you and I'd say, I'd like to get out of my business in like the next six months. What are you going to tell me?
2: Well, I'm going to tell you, I wish there was more time, but uh, I I think uh, I'm going to tell you great You need a whole bunch of different people involved in this. You need your lawyer, you need your accountant, you need your personal advisor, your insurance guy, consultants, all the different things. And you need them all working together to help create a good plan for you. But the problem for you business owners that you've never sold your business probably before. So you need somebody to help coordinate things, to help create that plan, to figure out what's the best way to meet your goals for exiting. So I'd say Get the right team together, get the right person to lead that that's done it before, and then work to find the right solution rather than jumping again just to a specific end outcome. How do you think about and consider what are the possible ways to best get to your goal? Whatever it is, leaving it to your kids, selling it, keeping it within the community, whatever that looks like.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I guess we'll go ahead and sum up. Carrie, if you could, what was kind of the main takeaway or takeaways you got from kind of looking into these four trends as they emerged?
1: Yeah, I I think the thing that really stuck out to me was this idea of a turnover tsunami. And if you really have half of your workforce that's going to leave in the coming year or years how do you adjust and how do you approach that? And and if you don't have senior leader attention on that at this point, I think you really need to. And if you need help doing that, I always say put the numbers behind it. Um, If we think about what are your payroll costs for 50% of your workforce, or even if we want to bring that down and say, okay, realistically, maybe it's 25%. What's that payroll cost? And then, you know, 100 percent of turnover costs. We could just look at it like that. If the average is 50 to 150 percent, that's a really big number. And you could do some very small things to invest in a not significant way um, that really would have a significant impact on your people and on the retention of your employees.